0: <laughs> and me still not knowing what I'm doing. This is a great cold opening so everybody sees like the behind the scenes of how incompetent I am and how much our producer saves my fucking ass. You're going to have to do uh, a third uh, Cadorna ing. Cador- <sighs> no more Cadorna. <laughs> At this point, I am just going to decimate myself. Uh, so, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to yet another episode of the Lines of My Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe. And with me today is labor attorney and part time labor historian when I need him to
1: be, Carrie Shockey. What up, dude? I'm, you know, recording here from my, uh, my, uh, um, you know, secret location, uh, as I sit here and, uh, sit here in quarantine. I mean, thankfully a little bit more comfortable than when Nick had to do it, I think, but, uh, probably, (laughs) you you know, because I'm not just getting like a food tray of whatever scraps came from like the, uh, from the Chow Hall, you know, like every like twenty four hours. You're now the third person who's recorded on the show while in quarantine. Myself, Nick, and now you. Congratulations, we 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 have a hat trick for COVID. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we we just thought you know there was uh someone uh, what was it like a month ago now? Someone created that account that was uh uh specifically just saying that they really fucking hated the sound of your voice until they heard mine, and that was even worse. Uh, I mean, so, as someone who has to hear my own voice, I also hate my voice, which is
0: why I don't edit my own podcast.
1: Right. Yeah. And I've never listened. It's actually a pain in the ass. I've been on so many episodes because now, like, you know, every so often I'll, I won't be paying attention and uh, my podcast app will go to a new episode. It'll be me on it and have to recoil away in fucking horror. <laughs> hey, at least it's not the genocide one. Um, I know people have been <laughs> s-
0: people have been sending me uh, messages uh, regarding why Nick has not been on the show. No, Nick has not been fired. I don't think I. <laughs> I, I don't think I like legally one of us could fire the other one. Um, and we are both members of the IWW, uh, so I feel like there's a grievance procedure at play. Um, <laughs> but he's moving, uh, and he, it requires him to get internet. Uh, and he will be back on the show, whatever that is possible. Um, so yeah, we, I, I miss him too. He'll be back. I just want him <laughs> back. God damn it. Um, feel like shit just want him back. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is, this is a disclaimer. Uh, I understand this is a military history podcast and we, we, we will be talking about military history. However, we'll be talking a lot about labor history today and a guy named Eugene V. Debs. Uh, so it's gonna be a very political episode. Um, I know sometimes somehow uh the political stance in this show is kind of i don't know unknown to some listeners, uh but we're all different shades of leftist on this show um <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert uh, so we're gonna be talking about something that uh me and Carrie uh both are really interested in uh and again after. 4 weeks of genocide episodes. I kind of just want to talk about something I want
1: to talk about. <laughs> like <laughs> just a lot joke and have something that isn't like a war crime as a treat. I mean, there is unfortunately there's crimes against humanity. In this. Yeah, well, um, yeah. Fewer, fewer war crimes.
0: Significantly fewer. And 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 many uh and, and many people are saying this. Um and a lot less people die, at least. Um but
1: Unfortunately yeah, you, unfortunately no one tastes themselves in the nuts, but you know,
0: no, uh, not the. I don't think a taser had been invented yet. Um, but yeah, if you're someone who comes to listen to like, just stuff about military battles, this episode probably won't be for you. But maybe it will be. Maybe it'll be turned on to uh, one of the mo- most successful left wing politicians in American history, um, and which, labor which, organizers for that matter. Which
1: is admittedly not a broad category.
0: No, it's a very very short list of people. Um. So uh, and I, I promise this will have something to do with military history. Uh, so stick around; uh, you might <laughs> learn something. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> so shocks. I I wrote the script for somebody else, uh, admittedly, because like normally I have a I have a co-host, uh, and it, it starts off with "Have you ever heard of Eugene V. Debs?" Um, and I'm willing to bet that answer is yes for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, uh I'm actually. Uh, I'm enough of a nerd that I was actually like a, a pretty young little like leftist, which it actually makes me really happy that Twitter wasn't around around the time that I was 13 because I probably would have been like an insufferable fucking tangy for at least some of it. But,
0: uh, <laughs> amongst us. Am I right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's definitely like, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, my, uh, my little commie, like live journal postings from like 2002 don't exist anymore.
0: But yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I got suspended from school for running a school as a, as student body president as a communist.
1: Oh really? Yeah. So, yeah. I actually uh won uh an election for uh office when I was in high school by um doing a parody version of uh Khrushchev's speech, the was it the kitchen speech or whatever where he slams the uh the his shoe on the table. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So uh, but you know, I mean I guess that's just growing up in uh communist Massachusetts. So um you know and and I definitely know who Eugene Debs is? He's not one of my like, I. He's not one of my favorite uh, of the, like the American leftists, but um, he's definitely like someone who just kind of. Even I feel like in some history books that are a little bit more mainstream, he just kind of pops up often enough that he's probably someone who like might have been on your radar if you didn't sleep your entire way through history class.
0: That's my brand. Uh, that's the only class I didn't sleep through, um, and. <laughs> I mean, like I already said, and, and maybe someone thought I was joking, I am a member of the uh, IWW, so my, my thoughts on Debs are probably a little bit stilted, um, but I do try to call it my biases when I notice them. Um, and I, I didn't learn about him in uh, grade school. I did learn about him a lot in college, uh, and because I took a History of American Labor Movement class, yeah. which was fucking outstanding. Uh, it was probably one of my favorite classes. and. A lot of it was Debs. Um, And I think, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later on. I think he is, he would not like how famous he is, for one. Yeah. And uh, for two, I think he is a creature of circumstance. And that is, if Woodrow Wilson didn't fucking hate him so much, history would have forgotten about him.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it, you know, and it's it's difficult, too, because I feel like it's one of those things where he kind of existed during uh, he was a, not a particularly colorful character compared to a lot of his contemporaries. And he's a very normal guy who could just speak well. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't really like, you know, I'm sure he did some writing, but, you know, he's not really known as like, you know, having developed a lot on his own necessarily. He wrote um, one book while he was in prison. <laughs> yeah. You know, like he just, he was kind of in a way, like very much like kind of a, a yeoman of the, of, you know, the labor left during the, the late 1800s and early 1900s, and it, it, which is kind of interesting because, you know, you just, he's not someone anyone's ever going to make a movie about because it'll put everyone to sleep over three hours.
0: Also, it would be very hard to find actor who looks like him because he kind of looks like a turtle, um, but not in the Mitch McConnell way. Um, <laughs> An elegant turtle. I think, yeah. <laughs> he was a damn fine turtle. Um, I like Eugene V. Debs' story because it's it's a very, very normal story, in my opinion. And I think that's why it makes it so interesting. Uh, so Eugene Victor Debs was born November 5th, 1855 in Terre Haute, Indiana. And I don't know if I pronounce this. Right. Terry, Terry Haute. Uh, I mean... I've been to it's where, it's where the federal death penalty is now. I know. Yeah, that.
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Because every time uh, anyone's been put to death in the last six months, you get to hear like headlines from uh, oh, Terry Hot to uh, Terry Hote, Terry Terry Hatcher. I don't yeah, know. Um, I've been to Indiana twice, and I can't recommend it either way. So,
0: yeah, uh, shout out to Indiana for making the news in the worst way possible. Um, <laughs> so he was born to French immigrant parents. Uh, I believe they're from uh, Alsace. Uh certainly nothing bad would happen to that region anytime soon nope. um and uh his family was actually very wealthy once upon a time, but it was way before Eugene Debs was born uh but by the time he they he was born, they were pretty much destitute uh so like he uh, he would hear stories from like his dad about uh back in the day you know, when we had money so and, like Eugene Debs is like, "I'm having a turnip for dinner again, I really don't care about the old country." <laughs> uh and uh like it was it was very common uh for kids uh, of the lower class back in the day um and depending on where you live today also today uh you're kind of expected to drop out of school and get a job in order to help provide for the family um i also had to do that though i managed to not drop out um so i was able to balance my shitty job and i was uh 14 and 15 and also my shitty high school. And I think a lot of that has to do <laughs> <laughs> with the fact that my high school didn't really care if I turned anything in and they would still pass me. Um but Debs <laughs> dropped out of school when he was fourteen to get a job. I uh, it was super common. Uh, like you know, like paper boys and things like that. Uh and this is like uh you know child labor is still totally legal. Yeah. Uh, so you know
1: not only legal uh, but like you know essentially like a key component of the economic system at that point.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's 100% good and fine, actually, um, to have five-year-olds shoving their hands into machinery. Uh, it, when he was 14, he left high school and began to work in the railroads, um, a, a sector or a work sector that would pretty much define his entire life. Uh, he began his job uh, cleaning grease from tracks, which was a job I was not aware
1: uh, yeah, existed. And sounds miserable. As someone who's just cleaned grease from a trap... In a bakery, uh, you know, that's bad enough. I can only imagine that doing it in a fucking rail yard is probably not a lot of fun.
0: I have, I've, I've had to deal with industrial grease, uh, on tanks because there's a lot of it. Like it keeps, yeah. uh, track tension and things like that. And whenever it explodes and gets everywhere, it's disgusting. Oh, yeah. I can imagine it's that hard to clean up. Um, and, and or, I, yeah yeah, I, I assume 14 year old Eugene Debs worked much harder than I did while I was in the army, though. Oh, a I mean, for, work ethic.
1: We, we had it too from the, uh, particularly when I worked on, a. Uh, a uh, little buoy tender and so we had to like grease all the wire rope and like you know everything else there but you had to use something that we used to call uh smurf jizz because it was just <laughs> like it was like literally the color of a fucking smurf and you it would you know you just have to like like scoop it out with your hands with like a you know glove on and like use that to glee- grease the wire rope so i had, yeah can't imagine it was fun yeah um and he he made about 50 cents
0: a day uh doing this um and I found a conversion rate uh, for this for over the years, and you know, fifty. You're like, oh well, fifty cents a day in the 1800s must have been pretty good. That's actually about ten dollars a day uh, for some very hard physical labor for a 14 year old child. Um, so it's not good uh, even for then. But um, well, he just needs a side gig, right? Yeah, he just needs to work for a fucking I don't know, carriage Uber. <laughs> um, it, to be fair, this was considered much better than some shitty. Uh, child jobs of the day uh you could certainly make worse money but that doesn't mean it's good right but it was the mid 1800s and uh deb's didn't exactly have a lot of op- uh, options open to him like he couldn't like quit and get a better job this is the best thing he could hope for uh so he kept working and eventually he got promoted to painting the trains which honestly sounds like shit but it does sound better than cl- cleaning up grease um but he eventually hit pay dirt uh when uh, one of the train's firemen got showed up to work drunk and got fired uh so they promoted Debs to his position <laughs> been there um, i mean yeah I've been promoted dumber ways i guess yeah um now a, a fireman isn't like you know you call that one and a fireman shows up um it's a It's a guy who shoveled coal into a steam engine uh which it's a much harder and more dangerous job than anything he had done before. Uh, So in case people are unaware, sometimes boilers fucking explode if you didn't do the job correctly. And sometimes they exploded even when you did do it correctly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And this is like a, an era before like, uh, you know, there's like any sort of like workers comp, uh, which I think really only started in like the, you get some forms of it kind of in the mid 1800s, but like it was not very prevalent at the time that Debs was working. Uh, Tort law was also like not really what you would expect. So essentially, like if you died on the job, it was just like, oh well, that sucks. Find Uh, us a
0: new boy. Yeah, you know, like
1: (laughs) oh, blew this one up. Uh, Well, you know, better just like scrape him off and get a new one.
0: And that's like he was part of the firemen's union, which was the first union he was a part of. And that's like at bare minimum is what they did is like if you died, they'd give your family money. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) uh, but. His job is terrible, uh, but it did double his pay immediately. Uh so that's that's good. Um so he worked his way up to that firemen's union uh and eventually worked his way up to like he was like the grand treasury. Um and then he did do a single term in the Indiana General Assembly as a Democrat. Um but this is like, you know, early nineteen hundreds Democrats now. Yeah, which so which, you know, uh
1: was not great. No. Mean, you know, I mean like These are, you know, the rest of your party is essentially just everyone down south who just recently got their right to, like, vote and hold office, you know, back. Or actually, probably at that point, not even because Reconstruction was still going on. So, like, like the guys you're working with probably own slaves. Yeah, like 100%. (laughs) Uh,
0: But this is, you know, uh, Debs the Younger. Um, And at this point, Debs is absolutely not the person he'd go down his history as. Now at the time, rail unions were much different than what you know what we would think of when we think of rail unions in the nineteen hundreds and especially what we think of unions in general today, for example, they were not really a method of collective bargaining in fact, the concept of collective collective bargaining was illegal
1: yeah. <laughs> you were forming uh, an illegal combination in restraint of trade
0: yeah, um they were pretty much a hangout like an Eagle's club or something uh where dudes could like ditch out of like ignore it like without hang out with their families and co hang out their fellow rail workers after work um I, this is the organization that deb's rose up with it uh just for just for an example uh the union's motto is benevolence sobriety and in industry
1: yeah it was more of like some like sort <laughs> of like horatio alger like bootstraps shit like combined with like a drinking club like you know the 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 idea that like any sort of union that would actually be legal was like still very much like a uh an unconventional concept and like there's no you know I mean federal labor law is still like you know 50 years away in the 30s so you know and particularly with uh with the railroads you're going against guys who just have like all the fucking power in the world so
0: right and not to mention the time that he is coming up in is like standard oil was just created and you know commands an incredible amount of power there's pacific rail and things like that so he he is born in right in the heyday of american oligarchs uh and titans of industry as we uh, i I too kindly call them sometimes yeah Um, yeah
1: and i mean this is yeah this is this is an era where antitrust law like really hasn't been developed yet like in a in a real way uh i mean like you know you kind of have the rise of these first like kind of like capitalist barons which are You know, the former, the rich people we see today really didn't exist, you know, in the same vein in the U.S. until this period. And it was a period of just extreme inequality, uh, you know, where you have these guys just, you know, you have a lot of the the magnets of industry just kind of cornering the market in various different ways. And everyone else is just, you know, as I mean, as you said, you know, he was still only earning about like $10 a day for like an entire day's worth of like what I assume to be backbreaking work. It's like sixteen to eighteen hours a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just it was in here without any like any employment regulation whatsoever, any labor regulation whatsoever, and just you know, and and extreme boom and bust cycles is the other big part of that. Um, yeah, and
0: that's one of the things we'll talk about when when he gets to striking.
1: Yeah, and you know, th- like throughout this whole period, you know, even more than <laughs> even more than the past ten years, um, you would just have absolute just you know bank collapses every like, you know, three to five years or so. And so you just have, you know, periods of, uh, you know, relative prosperity. And then just, you know, kind of as, you know, uh, Joe was saying earlier, like as you were saying earlier about uh, the, um, you know, that his family did have money at one point and then, you know, had about a turnip between them towards uh, the time that he was born. I mean yeah. that that kind of like that was pretty common. Like you could you could gain and lose fortunes really fucking quick. Thankfully, it doesn't
0: happen anymore.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, uh, everyone just hear that uh, uh, Tesla is now worth uh, uh, more than the other twelve top car makers in the world combined.
0: Yeah, I can't wait until he invents Mars apartheid. Yeah, um, you know if, if he does, I'm gonna actually have to sue him because I put that a sci fi novel and I did not mean for it to become reality. <laughs> um. Just to underline how different Debs is at this point in his life than what he'd come up to be, he said, quote, labor and capital are friends. Yeah. And he also didn't think strikes were a good idea. However, <laughs> like most socialists or people who had become leftists in some flavor or another, Debs arrived at radical ideas out of his experiences operating within capitalism. Uh, of course... The railways really liked unions the way that they were, that is, not having collective bargaining powers and only kind of paying out death benefits if you get blown up on your shitty made boiler. Um, And it gave gifts and favors to the union leadership to make sure the unions stayed that way. Now, I don't mean to say that Debs was a sellout. He wasn't. He was just naive. He thought if the powers of capital saw how hard he worked and how hard his fellow laborers worked, they'd be treated fairly and paid well. Another one of the reasons he took the path uh, at first is because, remember, collective bargaining wasn't a thing. And every time you tried to collectively bargain, the state would use horrible violence to try to make sure you couldn't. Uh, This included Pinkertons, the National Guard, random dudes with guns, uh, strike
1: breakers. Yeah, just militia. You would be killed. Yeah. And, like, quickly and, like, maybe also your family.
0: Yeah. So, like... It was it was a hell of a step to be like, no, we should you know collectively bargain because you will have violence visited upon. It's not a matter of how many of you they're going to kill. It's like when does it start? Yeah, because um, like you know, for fuck's sake, during a, a miners uh, union strike, they were planning to drop bombs on them with fucking air force planes.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> this is no fucking joke. Yeah,
1: and I mean you know, or you know, if it's uh even more than now, I mean we've all been obsessed with uh you know Jimmy you know the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa for like fucking sixty years now uh just about i mean fifty years but um the just having your union leader you know or like even just the guy who spoke at work just disappear on a regular basis, particularly in you know some of the company towns that various different uh you know industrial uh powers would set up i mean you right, would just right. you would just disappear or just yep. end up in a ditch. Uh, maybe you're like, you know, hung from a streetlight as a warning to others. I mean, all sorts of shit like that. It's the implication. Right. Um, now, as anybody who has
0: ever taken a, a, a class or, or a look at early American industrial history, or I don't know, had a job at one point in your life, could have told Debs that licking the company boots probably wouldn't get him or his workers what they needed, or what they thought they needed. This led the Firemen's Union and Debs to authorize the strike, the first strike in the union's history in 1888. Unfortunately, the Burlington strike was a complete failure, but it did lead Debs to, lead, uh, to learn some things and that's to understand craft workers should unionize together not along specific job lines. So what happened during the Burlington strike was like he was a, he was in the firemen's union. Specifically, only firemen could be part of that union, that you know, the the coal shovelers. They allied with other very specific unions, but what the company did uh instead of caving to union demands, divide and conquer. They bribed the other unions to strike break for them. Yeah. Uh, so, so, whoops. Um so he started the American Railway uh Railway Union. Holy shit, I can't read. Um which was America's first ever industrial union. That means everyone who works in a rail yard joins this one union. They can no longer be divided and conquered into the firemen and the brakemen or whatever. Now you have to deal with everybody in a united front. And uh and together in 1894, they uh, did another strike with the Great Northern Railway and they won concessions for the workers. One of the things is like grievances, something that simple <laughs> like, yeah, holy shit, we can actually complain about our bosses um, and like, you know, death benefits and things like that. These aren't people like demanding at $50 an hour. They're like, we would rather not die
1: at work, please. Yeah, I would like not to be used as fuel after I collapse on the job. Yeah, and if you die in the job, they actually just use you for track grease. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'd like not to be melted down, please. In my like, you know, in my death.
0: Yeah, uh, and this led to probably the second biggest thing that Debs is known for, and that is the Pullman strike of 1894. Um, the Pullman strike is the Pullman strike took place in the Pol- Pullman Palace Car Company, which is a very fancy name for a company that made train cars. Um but like uh, for you know, upper class people who were yeah. traveling literal, literal coach building. Yeah. Uh, so there was a boom, like, you know, shocks talk about, and then there was a bust. So they built a ton of cars for this company. And then there was the bust came when they made fucking too many of them. Uh, this of course led to the biggest thing that Debs is known for the Pullman strike. Now the Pullman strike took place against the Pullman palace car company, uh, which is, you know, the, the, the palace is in the name. They built literal coach cars, but they're like upper class coach cars. And like Shock's talk about, there's a boom and then there's a bust. So they built too many goddamn cars and then they had to cut wages uh, in order to make up for the losses because they couldn't sell anymore. Uh, unfortunately, when they cut wages for its workers, in order to work for the Pullman Palace Car Company, you had to live in, drumroll please, the Pullman Palace Company town and live in Pullman Palace Company housing and shop at Pullman Palace Company stores. Um, so when they cut wages for their workers, they did not cut prices of any of the things within the company, ha- uh, within the company town. So it effectively made them homeless and destitute while working full time. Perfect. Now, um, this is the problem. I think maybe the first time we've ever talked about company script or company towns in this show. So I'll go over it a little bit. Um, so bear with me for a bit if you already know. Uh, So, during this time, especially in places like mines or rail yards, it was not uncommon for workers to be paid in company script, not money. Think of it as monopoly money. Uh, The script could be spent only in company towns um, and like company-owned stores, effectively creating their own really fucked-up economy, with the money going right back to the company, effectively creating their own industrial fiefdom that the workers couldn't leave... Because their money was in
1: train bucks or whatever. Which is, in particular, the, the reason why you see it in uh, mining in particular is because obviously a lot of mining was done in uh, areas where, you know, just because of where the mine was set up, you wouldn't already have a lot of um, other infrastructure. So, you know, you essentially had, you know, unless you wanted to try, you know, to uh, travel like 20 miles away by, you know, fucking horse, you know, there was nowhere else that you could really do your shopping. So, you know, you were the... The company used your uh immobility against you to you know force you to shop in their stores,
0: yeah, and you you couldn't leave because your whole life savings is in you know
1: coal dollars, and because um, you're probably working you know like six and a half days a week or something.
0: yeah, and sometimes the companies would pay people in real money, but then force them to live in company housing, effectively laundering the money right back to themselves bit by bit. Um, and that's, I think that was the case with Pullman is that they paid people actual wages, but then forced them to live in company housing. Yeah. Uh, so they cut their, their cut their real wages, but then didn't cut their, uh, rent. Uh, and that ended up being the step too far after being fucked
1: over for years. If, uh, if that seems familiar to you, it's because, uh, it's essentially what we've been doing, uh, in the United States for the last six months. So, you know, get ready for that. Yeah, thankfully,
0: there hasn't been any social upheaval at all.
1: Yeah. No, things have been really fucking normal this week.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Totally good and fine. Um, Now, the strike worked to an extent. They made uh, alliances with other unions that covered other parts of the railway and effectively crippled the national transportation system. Uh, And then, you know, rather than be like, you know, maybe these people have a point... Maybe we should talk to them and pay them fairly and treat them like human beings. The government called them thousands of cops, soldiers and strike breakers uh, who were deployed to crush the strike. And it was broken by force, killing 13 people. Uh, Eugene Debs was in the middle of all of this, and it was a radicalizing moment for him who prior to this would never have called himself a socialist, just a normal dude who wanted to live a decent life. This is from, uh, Eugene Debs wrote this in 1902. Quote, The combined corporations were paralyzed and helpless. At this juncture, they were delivered in wholly unexpected quarters, a swift succession of blows that blinded me for an instant and then opened wide my eyes. And the gleam of every bayonet and flashes of every rifle, the class struggle was revealed. This is my first practical lesson in socialism, though wholly unaware it was called that by name. Yeah. I mean So good job, cops.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean there's the apocryphal phrase like, you know, you get the union that, you know, employers get the union that they deserve. And, yeah. you know, I mean, you have to imagine that the the chief uh the legal instrument that's at work here is um injunctions. And so the way that uh you know the law would function during this period is that employers were allowed to get uh, injunctions to stop strikes. So even now, as shitty as our labor law is, you can't actually force. I mean, you can economically try to starve folks out, but you can't just you know force them back to work through the power of an injunction. Uh, not, I mean, there are, are uh, public sector limitations to that, but I mean, in general, most labor law has an anti-injunction, uh, you know, an anti-injunction provision, you know, at least for private sector. Um, yeah the injunction's
0: very weird. It's like the judge said you have to stop striking now, yeah, otherwise you're committing a felony like well, that's dumb. Why would I listen to that?
1: yeah, yeah, so I mean so that was the that was the kind of legal tool that they would use to then uh you know call in you know troops and you know essentially force folks back to work at the point of a bayonet, if not a bullet, sometimes both right um. So while now
0: a self-described socialist, Debs was also arrested and thrown in prison on federal charges due to the strike. He was charged with a few things. One of them was the injunction. Um, uh, but the other one was mail obstruction due to the fact that several of the trains that the strike had held up had also included, uh, federal mail. So yeah, just trying to tack things on, uh, Though times are much different, and he only served six months. um, During this time in jail, his politics only went further and further to the left. Uh, Like, people were sending him just endless amounts of books and theory, which he read constantly. Um, And he realized kind of like what he wanted to do when he got out. Um, Though he still stayed true to like just talking to people that they're human and how to better themselves and their material conditions rather than screaming theory at them. Might be a good idea um yeah so when it <laughs> when he got out he formed the socialist party uh there's a few other things before that but i'm gonna skip ahead a bit um there was uh i think there's like the democratic progressives or something stupid like that but eventually morphed
1: into the the socialist party
0: and then he began running for president pretty much all the time
1: <laughs> yeah he was the uh the kind of the the ralph nader of the uh the late 1800s but i think he actually did better um yeah i now- mean he was more of a legitimate like He's probably a more legitimate candidate at that point than Ralph ever was, or the Green Party in general ever has been.
0: Yeah, I think he won more votes than the Green Party did this year. I think, yeah, or last year rather. Um, now, obviously, we know he didn't win, uh, but he was one of the most successful third-party candidates of all time, and certainly the most successful candidate from any party calling itself socialist. Um, in one case, he came in second place in Florida. Ahead of eventual President William Howard Taft and former President Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> uh, and he was winning he was winning like five to nine percent of the popular vote. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know the population's much smaller, but
1: God damn. Well, and you know, I mean, part of it too and in, in, in certain states you have to think is uh just due to the, you know, kind of immigrant population that come over from Europe that you know, where all these ideas were treated is just kind of like a normal part of the political spectrum, even if it was something that they got, you know, forced to flee their fucking country over. But it was at least, you know, something that, you know, folks were talking about and, you know, most major cities at this point would have like a, you know, like a socialist newspaper or something to put out ideas. And, you know, it was kind of, there was this entire kind of ecosystem that it's, you know, hard to imagine now in comparison.
0: Yeah. During this time, a lot of people in the socialist party did get elected to things like, you know, the house, um, like, yeah. Or, uh, you know, Milwaukee One guy in New York was in the, hou- uh, the House of Representatives as a member of the Socialist Party of America, which is like crazy to think about now. Uh, but yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there was, you know, like uh, Wisconsin in particular, you know, had like a fairly like active like socialist movement for a long time. And I think the, the mayor of Milwaukee was a socialist. You know, I mean, it was, you know, not it was something that probably is not was not repeated really until like the last, I would say, 10 years when you started to see folks from DSA start to run for things. And even then, most of the time, this is members
0: of the Democratic Party. They're not yeah. running as socialists. Yeah. Uh, which is very weird. Um, and I mean, obviously, we all know why that's the case. Um, uh, so during the same time, he also helped start the Industrial Workers of the World or the IWW, sometimes known as the Wobblies, which I am a member of. Um and uh, certainly nothing bad happened to members of the Wobblies simply for being socialists. No, no, no. Centralia. <laughs> it, was, it was really weird. Like, as a member of the IWW in Washington and someone who lived like 30 minutes away from the Centralia Massacre where members of the uh, uh, IWW were shot by members of the American Legion for, you know, being socialist. Yeah. Uh, that every single year on the anniversary, uh, they just, like, argue over who's at fault. Like, it's been 100 years, guys.
1: Yeah, one I I know that like the local wobblies like show up every year and like do like a commemoration, which is nice. Oh Um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You know, the American Legion is fucking toxic. We've talked about them before, and uh, yeah, they're they're mostly the problem
1: here. Yeah, and I mean, kind of have been through history. I mean, even like subsequent like VSOs that have opened up have generally opened up because their members didn't want to join the uh, American Legion.
0: Yeah, or the VFW. Who's yeah? I don't know if they're any better. I mean, um,
1: yeah, I mean, I don't think any of them are great at this point, but I mean, that's just. No. You
0: know. Another 10 years, they'll all be died out because it's just full of old dudes. Yeah. Uh, so, unfortunately for America and, you know, all of humanity, it was during this time that a little shindig called World War I started. Long story short, some inbred people were beefing over turf, and tens of millions of people died as, as a direct result. And uh, it's bad.
1: <laughs> just taking a really bold stance here. Yeah, World War World One, War I,
0: bad actually. Yeah, it turns yeah. out,
1: looked into it and uh, not great. Yeah,
0: uh, turns out no wars are really necessary. Uh, <laughs> huh. Weird. Um, but at first, America stayed out of it. In uh, 1914, Debs joined thousands of other Americans demanding uh, that America keep its policy of neutrality firmly in place. Um, and that is kind of what happened at first. Um, w- at the start of World War One. Most of America held Debs' anti-war beliefs at the time, though not his socialist critique of the war. Uh, but like that was something he was like, you know what, close enough, fine. <laughs> um, Debs believed that the war was uh, between the ruling classes of nations, that the working class shouldn't have anything to do with it. Uh, he said, quote, I know of no reason why the workers should fight for what the capitalists own, Debs wrote to novelist friend Upton Sinclair, or slaughter one another for countries that belong to their masters. which
1: Uh (laughs) uh-huh yep (laughs) um but i mean that was still you know i mean the you know i mean as as well unfortunately i have to get into but i mean it's uh it caused a big split like you know i mean at first really more with like a lot of the european socialist parties but you know like whether or not to support nationalism kind of ended up being like a, a wedge issue for a lot of folks during this period
0: yeah, and they were, they were certainly drug along by some government stuff we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, um, Americans' opposition to the war wasn't like, fuck the monarchies and them sending their subjects to their deaths in Europe. It was like, why does this have anything to do with us? Fuck off. Which...
1: yeah,
0: well, Also valid.
1: <laughs> well, and you know, and it's something that you know, when you think about the military-industrial complex as really being a, uh, a creation of World War II and you know, this is a period where, you know, with the exception of kind of clashing with European powers, you know, Spain most recently in this particular case, but, you know, the United States was, you know, a lot more of it, uh, internally domestically focused, or at least, you know, uh, domestically colonialist, um, than, you know, we would be able to recognize it today. And there's, you know, very small standing army, like, you know, no, like, Real federal hundred
0: thousand people, yeah. yeah,
1: and even like in general, the federal infrastructure, like the administrative state, was fucking tiny. Uh, you know, Washington D.C. was very much still like a fucking backwater. Um,
0: yeah, so- World War One and the development of the the American Expeditionary Force uh, that we, we would send is, is pretty much the final death throes of federalism. Yeah, um, and it would centralize a lot of military power upon the federal army. Uh, but yeah, America is not even considered a military power by anybody except maybe Mexico, because we've already fucked with them
1: a couple times. Um, hey, well, and you know, yeah. Cause even really like our, our, uh, we hadn't really intervened anywhere in like, uh, Central America at this point yet, with the exception of Cuba. Um, you know, in the Spanish American war, we were still using, uh, you know, uh, state reserve- volunteer forces. Yeah. Yeah. Vo- yeah. That was what my, uh, that was the, uh, the banner under which my great grandfather committed some light war crimes in the Philippines. I mean, um, who's amongst us? Am I right? Yeah, you know, just you know, just some light ones. Uh, I, I
0: believe it was a member of the Nebraska Volunteers that started the entire insurrection for the most part. Oh, really? Yeah he he shot a random unarmed uh, Philippine soldier. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean that. <laughs> yeah, that,
1: that about checks out while uh-huh. shouting the N word because of course he did. Yeah, because of course he was. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, and like so. Uh,
0: when I say that America was broadly anti-war at the time, it's mostly guilty of circumstance. the uh, The concept that America is going to go fight in a European war is very weird uh, for most Americans, and not to mention we simply lack the military to do so. Like when we finally do ramp up and start recruiting an army, like there's not enough rifles to go around, and people are training with sticks. Yeah, I will. We'll talk a little bit about that too. Um, and while America was neutral quote unquote, it didn't mean they wanted, didn't want to make some money. Uh, we were flooding the allies uh, with supplies. Uh, and But we did see ourselves as a peacemaker in that, that we, this is still like 1914, 1915, very early on in the war. And uh, we're, the, our goal was to make as much money as possible off loans, of course, uh, but also to try to get the war to stop uh, by bringing all the sides together and to negotiate. But... Because it's 1914, 1915, and not to mention this wouldn't really matter a few years even in the in the future from this, every side thought that they could win in short order, so they didn't want to talk peace. So it didn't really work. Yeah. Um, this began to change when the Germans blew up the Lusitania. Uh, the it was a passenger ship and killed hundreds of civilians, uh, and it was framed as a cowardly attack, an unarmed passenger ship, which it was. But the Lusitania is also full of ammunition being brought to Europe <laughs> to be used against the Germans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that was what, definitely one of the biggest things that I think I've learned in the last few years. That it was not something that I learned in hi- like either middle school or high school. Was that like, no? Like I that was definitely like the party line was still very much like oh, like you know America, you know America had to avenge the Lusitania. Is like no, that was super like just you know and and like if I remember correctly too, Germany definitely like either targeted or raided or whatever out several other American ships before that so it was essentially just like a, a moment of opportunity for wilson to go to war.
0: Yeah, it was mostly um they we were ta- they had attacked merchant ships, but uh you know hence they brought up, you know, unrestricted submarine warfare needs to go blah blah blah. But you know, the Lusitania was very obviously a passenger ship. Yeah. Um which is wrong, but you could also say blowing up civilians is bad. Uh but using them as human shields for your war material puts them in that situation. Everybody here sucks. Um, Now that wasn't exactly what pushed Wilson to war. What did was in 1917 when Germany sent the Zimmerman telegram urging Mexico to invade the United States. Now this is hardly realistic for Mexico to do. Uh, They were still in the middle of a civil war. Uh, Not to mention they didn't have the military capacity to do so. And the United States is fucking huge. Um, It's simply not going to work. But it did show that the Germans were totally fine with war against the U.S. And if they managed to defeat the Allies in Europe after everything the U.S. had done in order to aid their war effort, there's a very good chance Germany would make war against them anyway. Um, Now, there were some debates over whether the telegram was real or not. Uh, For instance, when it was uh, presented in U.S. media, it was said like, Uh, we intercepted this or this was given to us by Mexico or whatever, but reality is intercepted by British intelligence and given to us. Uh, So that started a a conspiracy theory somewhat that the British placed it uh, in order to lure us into the war. But uh, no, that's not what happened. Uh, Imperial German Foreign Minister Arthur Zimmer admitted a few months later, yeah, I sent that. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like st- while they're still at war, like, yeah, that's my bad, bro. Um, whoops. Now, there's, there's a lot of anti German sentiment, not to mention a lot of anti Mexican sentiment, which thankfully America's never had again uh, involved in this. Um, mostly the fact that, um, you know, there's already been. Um, Raids across the border in regards to Pancho Villa on both sides. uh, We had sent entire like expeditionary forces to try to hunt them down. Not to mention that uh, I think it's Carranza was in the middle of a civil war at the time.
1: And Uh, I mean, I think, you know, and, you know, the, all this area had only become the United States like 60 years previously, like within a couple generations. So you got to, you know, you got to imagine that there's still like a lot of bad blood. You know, there's still motherfuckers, you know, kicking around who had probably like been at the Alamo. Not at the Alamo, but you know, like uh, certainly
0: Mexicans who'd probably been around. All the Americans get shot. Yeah. (laughs) So sorry, all the uh, Texans—they weren't Americans uh, yet or ever. (sighs) Slavers, (laughs) members of a slave rebellion again. Um, yeah. So it's weird to think that the like fear of a war with Mexico is what drove us to World War One, because it's really not. We weren't. We weren't realistically afraid that Mexico was invade. Uh, because it wasn't a military re- reality. It was more of a, okay, I guess Germany fucked around. Now they have to find, find out. It's all very stupid. Um, There's all, there's also some writing saying that the U S was kind of worried that if they didn't get involved, the British and the French wouldn't be able to pay their loans back. Yeah.
1: Uh. <laughs> I've, I've also heard of it, you know, being kind of like a way to try to like consolidate the nation that was, you know, on the part of nativists. Um you know, just out of like, you know, promoting nationalism as like, you know, a way of kind of creating a, you know, I mean, this was just before this kind of second resurgence of the Klan. So there was definitely a lot of, you know, kind of trying to create a a white identity as we would currently understand it.
0: Oh, yeah. Wilson showed uh, the first ever movie screened in the the White House as a KKK movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Birth of a Nation. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yep um you know, there's a lot of reasons why the u.s entered world war one uh wilson wanted also wanted a uh a voice at the negotiation table to push his own agenda which all failed um so you know whatever anyway um the u.s found itself in the middle of war and uh but it didn't really have an army to go to war with in the lead up to the entry of world war one the u.s pretty much knew they had nothing in regards to an army that could realistically be sent off to europe in order to fight its you know with its peers and against its enemies there, especially not on the same footing. Even as the start of the war in 1914, the government knew they were fucked if they actually had to get involved. They knew that they wanted a federal army rather than relying on the national guard and volunteer units like they had done in their war against Spain, which showed themselves terribly. And really the only reason why we won is because the Spanish army is even worse shaped than we were. Right. Uh, like for instance, during one invasion, the spa this uh, a Spanish island didn't even know they were at war, and uh, I I, th- I can't remember the fucking island now. I think it was Guam, maybe. Um, that sounds right. But the we uh, like the American Navy fired on them, and the Spaniards sent out a boat requesting ammunition because they thought it was simply a salute, and they wanted to be able to return it. They had no idea they were at war. <laughs> so like. <laughs> Oh, uh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they had they had plans for a draft uh, all the way back in 1914 and 15, and it was a limited one. And honestly, it's a much better plan and much better draft than anybody's come up with in American history before or since. So starting in 1915, they wanted to draft 600,000 men a year. Uh, but just long enough to be given basic military training and then sent back home to go work their normal jobs and be part of reserve units. With the active federal army only being used to train draftees that came into service. In any case of emergency, the reserve units could be activated. This is literally a much better uh, way of drafting than the U.S. ever used in real life.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you think about like you know how dra- a lot of drafting ended up getting used, where it was like you know like in- towards the end of World War II, where it was just. All right, you've been in for 60 days and you're in Europe. You fucked. Yeah.
0: It, or like during the Vietnam War, people would be drafted for like 13 months.
1: <laughs> yeah, like just long enough to like get them through boot camp, get them over for a year and then you get back and you get discharged.
0: Yeah, it's all very stupid. This system works much better. I'm actually I'm actually um much better at the system than the one that we currently have. Um because it would comp- it would it would defang the the United States military but it would give us an effective defense force. That's what I want.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it's, um, is it kind of similar to like, uh, like what Switzerland does? I think so, but I don't know enough about this. That's fair. And I don't want to talk on my ass about it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, once the U S had finally officially entered the war, uh, they kind of hoped that, uh, so obviously that draft program that I just talked about never happened. Uh, and when they entered the war, most people were on the side that like, okay, we want a volunteer army. Uh, like we want people to volunteer for active service. And they kind of hoped that the thrill of adventure and wartime service would drive hundreds of thousands of men into the ranks with the ultimate goal of 1 million men in uniform. Uh, and to be fair, this worked for a lot of countries, though those countries were in Europe where the idea this war could be in their front door if they didn't win was very real. So in the U.S., instead of having a million men in uniform, within six weeks, only about 150,000 people volunteered. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. Because uh, remember, like the war is not popular. Yeah, and it's been going on for a couple years at this point. So everyone knows they're not just going to like go cover themselves in glory and you know lead a fantastic cavalry charge even in the united states
0: yeah like the the lies that could be told in france and england in the very beginning like home by christmas like couldn't like they're like yo this is gonna suck would you like to sign up
1: yeah like <laughs> like you've all you've been reading about are newspaper articles about like people just like dying in the mud for the last couple years like wouldn't you like to do it too
0: no. Yeah, like these these guys have the benefit of opening up a newspaper and reading about the Battle of the Somme and be like, I don't want, I want no part of this. Yeah, like you know, <laughs> after like the
1: the fucking Pals battalions just got like you know the Pals armies got the shot shit out of or shit shot out of them. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't want to fucking you're like, hey man, you want to go f- fucking loose together? Fuck you, asshole. Yeah, I I would take a toe off to escape the trenches for sure. Oh yeah, because um, you're gonna lose it anyway. So I mean, fuck it, might as well get it out of the way early.
0: Yeah. Um. So instead of waiting on this volunteer army, we got the Selective Service Act of 1917. Uh, and credit where credit's due, it did fix some of the problems with the last one during the Civil War where you could buy your way out of the
1: draft. Um, or hire someone to go for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, you couldn't do that anymore. Um, but along with the draft law, uh, it came with a massive propaganda campaign to drum up support for the war. Because like I said, nobody wants to do this shit. Right. And with those came the Espionage and Sedition Acts, both passed in 1917. Um, in the House, the laws passed unanimously, with the exception of one nay vote, cast by a guy named Meyer London, who happened to be a member of the Socialist Party from New York. So <laughs> credit where credit Now, in Congress, some people uh, uh, did vote against it, uh, but he was the only one in the House.
1: You mean in, uh, you mean in the Senate?
0: Yeah, in Senate, yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, yeah. He was the only one in the House who voted against it. Um, now, while the government had been churning out propaganda, this was the weapon they needed to round out the political repression, or to shut up all these people saying that the war is bad. Um, this gave the government sweeping powers to throw pretty much everyone it didn't like in prison for saying so much as like maybe we shouldn't be fighting this war.
1: Yeah, and like you know. Um, and was like very heavily targeted towards like fucking immigrants. And I think actually, if I remember correctly, one of these, one of these sedition acts, uh, even created the, the captain of the port role that the coast guard has now, which allowed them to like post guards around, uh, major shipping areas and like arrest people at like a federal level for it. Pretty much. Yeah. It was used as like,
0: so it it was a weird, it was a weird, weird law. Um, like for instance even speaking out against President Wilson himself would be considered illegal in some cases and it was very decentralized um the attorney general left it up to local US attorneys to bring charges as they saw fit um there was no uh like federal stormtroopers kicking yeah. down your door or anything, they left up the local authorities. Uh, pro- now, the excuse for that was, "You're a local authority; you'll know who the threat is in your local area." However, this meant that the laws were almost always used to target racial and religious minorities, as well as left wing organizations, especially the Wobblies. Yay! And also <laughs> a lot of black people. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, pretty much, it. It was just used to, like, you know, as with uh, any of these laws, it was just used as a cudgel to, like, you know, go after. You know what kind of you know enemy of the state or enemy of capital have it exist in a particular area.
0: Well, I mean that's no matter what, what the reason for whenever political repression tools come out, whether it's this act or the Patriot Act or whatever, it's the the repression always starts on the right and exerts outwards. It's never any other way. Yeah. Um, like you know, obviously we see this now where it's almost always used against minorities and socialists and anarchists or whatever. Uh, but like the Patriot Act was empowered federal authorities to infiltrate just random mosques and sewing and reading circles from like old ladies and shit who maybe also talked about the war not being good in Iraq.
1: Yeah. Like Quakers, like the anti-war movement in like 2003, 2004, uh, uh, WTO protesters, ELF, you know, folks who like, you know, and, and of course, you know, disproportionately, you know, you get prosecutions and you get, uh, you know, you just get like, you know, Even just general harassment, you know, folks coming to your house and whatever. Meanwhile, you know, during the same period, you had the rise of the, you know, uh, you know, as as Joe knows very well, like the Michigan militia movement and whatever, like during the 90s and into the 2000s. And somehow that's what, you know, which uh, is something that uh, was left primarily unchecked and definitely hasn't come back to bite us in the ass in the course of like the last, you know, uh, seven or eight days.
0: Yeah, the only thing that anybody ever cared about the Michigan militia ever is when Timothy McVeigh got involved because obviously we know how that ended.
1: Right. But <laughs> I don't know, and I mean like uh it's one of those things too where that's why, you know, I have to laugh every time that uh you know someone brings up, you know, what ha- you know, you can't advocate for this, you know, or you you shouldn't uh you shouldn't laugh at this, you know, the these tools, these tools of censorship, you know, Trump getting uh kicked off of Twitter, that will uh you know that That'll get used against the left one day. And it's like, motherfucker, it, it already does. It already happens. Every single bit, it always,
0: it, yeah. it always is. And they know that because most people, I mean, the left is generally politically engaged or the ones like Eugene Debs constantly going on speaking tours, having meetings, organizing. Normal people don't do that shit. So it won't affect them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's just like, like they they know this. And it's one of those things. So, like, you know, every time. I mean, I'm not, like, advocating for, like, you know, additional, like, statues. I think that's fucking dumb. And, like, I'm not saying that, you know, the state needs to be provided with more, like, tools at its disposal to, like, grind you under its heel. But it's definitely one of those things where if you pretend that, like, oh, no, like, what happens if this is going to get used against the left? It's, like, it prob- when, whatever you're talking about has probably already been used against the left. So the fact that it is at all ever used against the right is something to, like, you know, at least, like, gain some amount of schadenfreude joy out of it.
0: Yeah, and the idea that's like, oh no, we need more statues and more tools, like weird, only if we had didn't already have all these, you know, local, state and federal laws against arming yourself and storming government buildings. Yeah. It's weird that we had this blind spot in our in our legislation that allowed this to happen. Or maybe it's just because people have been screaming for years something was going to happen and they got fucking ignored.
1: Well, and it's also like, you know, I mean, it's the same reason why, like, you know, if you uh, if you steal 20 bucks from a liquor store, it's a fucking felony. You go to jail for five years. And if you, you know, loot a fucking entire company, a uh, saddle it with a bunch of debt and then sell it and have it go bankrupt, you know, you get uh you get like Rotarian of the year at the local fucking, at, you know, the award ceremony in December. I mean, it's like
0: the guy who stole uh, the, the guy who kicked in Nancy Pelosi's door and stole mail and shit might face like a year in prison. And there was like BLM activists who are facing life in Utah for pouring red paint on somebody's doorstep.
1: Yeah. Like yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I don't care. It's just I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I it, yeah, just the dumbest well, fucking not, shit.
0: Yeah. Let's not pretend that these laws are applied fucking yeah. evenly. And also, you know what? You know what else? Happens from time to time when when this occurs. Paramilitaries get involved. Uh, Shocks. So that happens here too. Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, as as it always fucking does. Because you know, like the minute you give a little tin pot dictator like an inch of fucking power, they take it.
0: It's weird. It's almost like when you empower unhinged people um, who you know want to enforce the law with their own hands and brutalize their political opponents. That's just what they'll do. Um, and if you feed them enough, they'll blow up in your face. So it wasn't just the government cracking down on everybody, who, everybody and everything who might speak out against the war. Uh, the American Defense Society, a right-wing vigilante group, pulled anti-war speakers off soapboxes in New York City and beat them to death. The American Protective League, a national group of 250,000 volunteers acting on the blessings of U.S. Attorney General Thomas Gregory, kicked open their neighbors' homes and searched their mail and reported allegedly disloyal behavior. Many of whom were arrested and thrown in prison.
1: Yep. Yeah, I mean, one, it's like it's a dumb aside, but I, you know, it's one of the few things that I've been able to get any joy out of over the course of like being inside for the greater part of the past ten months. I was occasionally playing uh, Forza. And, you know, just like on an Xbox that I bought just, you know, in particular for that purpose. And one of the things I'm always struck by is the sheer number of motherfuckers who like want to make every single fucking car that you can have in the game into a cop car. Like it's like (laughs) a deep fucking sickness when you like you look at like, I don't know, some fucking Lamborghini or something and like, man, what if I made it into a cop car? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? How far have you like put that boot down your throat where like you can't like, I don't know. Just like enjoy like a dumb car game for what it is. You got to even pretend to be a fucking cop in it.
0: Have you ever throat fucked a boot so hard the toes come out of your ass?
1: <laughs> I mean, Fuck, if that, I mean, if that's your kink, I mean, it's fine. But like, Jesus fucking Christ! Like, you know, I mean, it's like the joke they make on, uh, you know, Trash Future a bunch about like volunteer fucking border force. I mean, that's yeah, what all these exactly. fucking assholes are.
0: Yeah, it's like the again going back to the Capitol, even though I'm trying not to do that. It's like there's a hundred percent chance that there's a blue line flag within five
1: feet of a cop being
0: beaten to death.
1: Yeah, like or being we're, warned by one of the fucking people who's doing it. Like a, I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, we're we're a diseased people, man. Um, now, kind of like what we talked about during the Iraq War with um, uh, you know, whoever part of whatever federal organizations infiltrating reading circles and anti-war groups. Um, regardless of their politics also happened here. There were some conservative groups that were targeted, mostly like Quakers and other religious groups. Um, But the anti-war activists ran the gamut from leftist to isolationist conservatives, and they were all targeted. Though most of the Quakers and conservatives did not go to prison, not so much (laughs) for the leftists. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. In one case, 2,000 war protesters were arrested for the crime of inspiring resistance to military recruitment. One of these was noted socialist speaker Kate Richards O'Hare, who was sentenced to five years in prison for giving an anti-war speech in North Dakota. Um, The government also blocked everything it considered anti-war or against the war effort, from actual anti-war leaflets and newspapers, of which there was tons, um, to a movie about the Revolutionary War because it made their allies, that being, you know, the British, look bad. (laughs) (laughs) Just so fucking stupid. Uh, just for comparison, so we know where the priorities are for the U.S. government. At the same time this is happening, the Supreme Court struck down a law banning child labor.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's... Woo! We're just, you know, just firing on all fucking cylinders. Just, like, some super, like, fucking turbocharged capital shit.
0: While most of this was going on, Debs was secluded away in his house in Indiana. Uh, he was see Debs was sick. He had a lot of health problems, um, and he spent his time writing for a lot of the newspapers that would find uh, like his articles being uh, censored out of them, and then those newspapers just getting closed down. Um, this eventually began to piss him off more and more as he realized that the freedom of speech was gone. Not to mention expression and one's you know airing of grievances with the government. Um and a lot of his friends were getting arrested Uh, like uh, O'Hare was a very close friend of his so he was yeah. saying, you know fuck this I'm as healthy as I'm gonna be I'm gonna hit a speaking tour of the Midwest Um, he was dealing with like heart failure and he was just all around a weak dude most of the time um, can't imagine why a lot it's of, not
1: like he was like you know working in a rail yard since he was 14 prior to this
0: and spending v- random fits and starts in jail yeah <laughs> um and a lot of people worried that it would kill him uh and and everybody that wasn't worried that the speaking toward kill him was more worried that he'd almost certainly be arrested um and deb's to his credit kind of understood that would happen um he said quote i'll take two jumps off and they'll nail me but that's all right uh and though he did he was he was a smart dude he read the acts that he was gonna be protesting as closely as he could and purposefully made speeches that, would, that he thought would not run afoul, meaning he would not tell people like, not to, like, he wouldn't tell people to burn their draft cards or like tell President Wilson to eat his ass or anything like that. Um, uh, but the law was very unevenly applied. Uh, like, for instance, O'Hare gave the same speech that got arrested in North Dakota in a different, in a different state the day before, and nothing bad happened to her. Um, and the same thing kind of happened to Debs. He spoke in Illinois and Indiana with no incident whatsoever. Uh, but then he traveled to Canton, Ohio. And like most things in life, the joy had to end when he went to Ohio. <laughs> uh, he yep. went to a socialist party gathering. Uh, that I, you, Ohio people, you know I had to. You know I had to. I'm contractually obligated to. Um, so he went to a, a gathering at the socialist party building um, that he knew would be heavily infiltrated by cops, as they pretty much always were. Good thing that doesn't happen anymore. Um, cops were there in plain clothes and moved through the crowd demanding to see uh, military aged uh, draft mail or sorry military aged males draft cards and if they did not have them on them they were hauled away now not having your draft card on your person was not illegal however it did allow them to pull them away for questioning
1: cool because that seems illegal but I'll- <laughs> yeah yeah well and once again like I mean this is you know <laughs> you don't realize like how much, like a lot of the things that we really take for granted in like in our current society are things that were like developed relatively recently. Like, you know, Miranda warnings weren't going to be, aren't a thing until the sixties. Like the fourth amendment really like, I don't know, has very little power at this particular juncture. Like a lot of the shit that we would think is kind of part and parcel of like criminal law and criminal procedure are just like not a fucking factor.
0: Yeah. And like, I- I, I, at this point, I honestly assume going into this, because again, I'm not American history major. I think I've made that apparent. Um, but I assumed that like child labor had been banned by thou. But I was like, holy shit, really?
1: Yeah, not <laughs> till like, like the 19, 30s.
0: Six, 17, you know?
1: Yeah, no, like not till the 30s do you start getting like really, really not until FDR do you get any sort of real regulation about anything about employment whatsoever that's like at all favorable to employees. I think we got maybe fifteen,
0: twenty years left until like somehow, like actually, if you're twelve, you can go to work with your parents or something, yeah, I mean <laughs> if that, you're twelve, you can work for Uber Eats on your bike,
1: yeah, I mean that's very solidly like uh like Ben Sass and like uh fucking Ted Cruz and shit, like like Ted Cruz legitimately believes like in child labor, so ah,
0: Truman of character, yeah, yeah, um. Now, the Canton, Ohio speech is pretty fucking legendary, and I would actually encourage you, and I'll put the link where you could read the entire thing for free in the show notes. And I picked out choice bits. I can't read the whole thing because it's so fucking long, uh, but it's really good. Uh, like I've pointed out before, I'm not much of a theory or a speech guy. However, this speech fucking slaps. Uh, I encourage everybody to read it because a lot of it fucking resonates today. Um, so he starts off by saying three of our most loyal comrades are paying the penalty of their de- devotion to the cause of the working class they have come to realize that's extremely dangerous to exercise the de- the constitutional right of free speech in a country fighting to make democracy safe in the world and everybody laughed um <laughs> do not worry ab- over treason to your masters be true to yourself and you cannot be a traitor to any good cause on earth uh and I, he was talking about the three people uh there's something called the workhouse which is which is like an old timey word for a jail uh, who like was speaking outside of the, the jail and got arrested the day before. So that's who he was talking about. The master class has always declared the wars. The subject class has always fought the battles. The master class has all to gain and nothing to lose. While the subject class has nothing to gain and all to lose, especially their lives. They have always taught and trained you to believe in your patriotic duty to go to war and have yourself slaughtered in their, in their command. But in all of the history of the world, you, the people, have never had a voice in declaring war. And strange, it certainly appears that no war of any nation of any age has ever been declared by the people. And here, let me emphasize the fact, and it cannot be repeated too often, that the working class fight all the battles. The working class make the supreme sacrifices. The working class who freely shed the blood and furnish the corpses have never yet had a voice Either in declaring war or making peace, it is the ruling class that inevitably does both. They alone declare war, and they alone make peace. He also attacked the super rich uh, in America, the you know the the robber barons of the age, who encouraged Americans uh, to grow their own food uh, and ration. He said, "Cultivate war gardens while at the same time, a government war report just issued that shows practically fifty two percent of all arable tillable soil is held out of use by landlords, speculators, and profiteers. They themselves do not cultivate the soil. They could not if they, or they would not if they could. Hmm. These are the gentry who are today are wrapped up in the American flag who shout their claim from the housetops that they are the only patriots and have their magnifying glasses and hands scanning the country for any evidence of disloyalty, eager to apply the brain of treason to the men who dare to even whisper the opposition to Junker rule in the United States. No wonder Sam Johnson de- declared that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. He must have had this Wall Street gentry in mind, or at least their prototypes. For in every age, it seems to be a tyrant, the oppressor, and the exploiter who has wrapped themselves in the cloak of patriotism or religion or both to deceive and overawe the people. Good thing that one didn't <laughs> continue to happen. <sighs> yeah. Now, Debs purposely went out of his way, like I said, not to attack the president or the war directly. So it's not trying to run the laws that, he, that already claimed several of his friends. Um, he even said as much in the beginning of his speech. Like He's like, comrades, I have to be very careful. Otherwise, I'll join our friends next door and things like that. Um, and he didn't want to go to prison, though he did understand there's a very real possibility. Uh, but unfortunately for Debs, uh, much like thinking he could follow the rules and be treated with respect by his old rail yard bosses, the government wanted to arrest him. So he was fucked before he even set out president wilson himself hated deb's and considered him a traitor openly and in notes (laughs) so there was no way he was not going to get arrested which is kind of incredible that like the president of the united states who's fighting an overseas european war at this point is like you know what that dude in indiana minding his own business fuck that
1: guy yeah you would think that he would have better fucking things to concentrate on
0: it's just like that what everybody has that one guy who irks them um, <laughs> like, you know, not only was Debs not racist, he was also anti-war and
1: um, and that was just one fucking step too far.
0: Yeah. Like, wait, you don't hate black people and you want fair pay and time off.
1: Get the cops. Yeah. Uh, if, if the FBI hadn't been invented yeah, I'd call them. If there's if, uh, if there's anything that uh, will ever get you uh, beaten in America, it's those two things. Get me yield
0: silver shirts. Um, (laughs) So, of course, Debs was arrested when he was about to enter uh, his next speaking engagement and charged with 10 counts of violating the Espionage and Sedition Acts. And honestly, I read his speech looking for what 10 counts those could be, and I could not find them. Yeah. I I don't have like my 1900s lawyer glasses on, uh, but like I, I try to read it pretty openly. I don't know. Um, I couldn't find it, but Debs also knew that it didn't matter. Um, at Debs trial in Cleveland in September of 1918, the prosecutor argued that Debs speech was quote calculated to promote insubordination and pro and propagate obstruction to the draft. Debs lawyer conceded the the facts of the case and Debs spoke on his own behalf. Um, the main reason for this is Debs knew that there was no point. Uh, he knew that there was no chance that he was going to like step one single foot in court and be allowed to walk free, so he did not even try. <laughs> uh, when confronted with his charges, he pretty much just tried to argue the illegitimacy of the acts he was being charged under, which, sure, but he was never going to get him off. Right. Um, he said, quote, I have been accused of obstructing the war. I admit it. I abhor war. I had opposed oppose the war if I stood alone. If the espionage law stands and the constitutions of the United States is dead. He was then of course found guilty.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean but you know it's like I mean for all the folks at this point like there really was never really very much of any fucking doubt once they like you know once they arrested you it just meant that they wanted you in jail.
0: Yeah, he he knew he wasn't going going to go home and he by the way he's married this whole time. <laughs> he doesn't have any kids. Uh he just has a very unhappy wife I assume. Yeah. Um after he was found guilty Deb said your Honor, I've stated this court that I'm opposed to the form of our present government, and I'm opposed to the social system in which we live. And I believe in change of both, but in perfectly peaceful and orderly means. I'm thinking this morning that the men in the mills in the factory, I'm thinking of the women who, for a paltry wage, are compelled to work out for their lives of the lives of the little children who in this system are robbed of their childhood and their early and tender years are seized by the remorseless grasp of, of mammon, and forced into the industrial dungeons there to feed the machines while they themselves are being starved of body and soul your honor i ask no mercy i plead for no immunity i realize finally that i am right and i must prevail i never more fully comprehend now that the great struggle between the powers of greed on one hand and uh, upon the rising hosts of freedom I can see the dawn of a better day of humanity. The people are awakening and in a due course of time. They will come into their own. They don't need me. Unfortunately, he was wrong about that last part, um, <laughs> but he, the judge didn't care and sentenced him to 10 years in prison. Uh, and after that, he said his most memorable quote of his entire life. Quote, I listened to all that was in this court, and I support the justification of this prosecution. But my mind remains unchanged. I look upon the espionage laws, a despotic enactment, and flagrant conflict with democratic principles of the spirit of free institutions. Your Honor, years ago, I recognized my kinship with all living beings, and I have made up my mind that, there is not one bit better the mean, that I am not one bit better than the meanest man on earth. I say then, I say now, that while there is a lower class, I am in it. And while there's a criminal element, I am of it. And while there's a soul in prison, I will not be free. Yeah. And then he went to prison, uh, because unlike movies, when you give a really cool speech, you don't get found innocent yeah. unfortunately,
1: or yeah. get, get or get given like time served. Well, you know, and then his, you know, his conviction was, you know, he appealed it and it was upheld and it was upheld and it was upheld by the Supreme court ultimately, including, uh, everyone's favorite, uh, you know, early liberal justice, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, Said that you know, essentially, he saw no problem with upholding uh, Debs's conviction.
0: Yeah, um, the, the strangely enough, the one person who seemed to be against it was the U.S. Attorney General, Michael Palmer. Um, now, because when the war ended, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these political prisoners—they call them prisoners of consciousness, I believe—were commuted. Uh, they were let out. Debs was not um, because Woodrow Wilson fucking hated him. Uh, like, uh, for instance uh there is numerous requests for clemency not a pardon uh debs never asked for a pardon um but every bit of clemency was always refused by wilson uh to include uh, a personal plea from the us attorney general michael palmer who noted that like he's very sick and he might die uh it, like we can't have a political prisoner die in prison in the united states it would look terrible um and he sent it uh, to the president who sent it back with simply the word no written on it. Fuck. Uh, while Eugene Debs was in uh, prison, he ran for president one more time, despite not being able to campaign in any fucking way possible. He still won nearly 1 million votes.
1: Yeah. Which I mean, you know, and which I think was, uh, it's like around 3% of the vote at that time, which like, Uh, I think it was a little bit higher than that. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, which is just amazing to think about. I mean, I think I'm trying to think of, I don't know. Like you try to think about uh, like, uh, other American political figures who've like run for shit from prison. Oh, they uh, go nowhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of, uh, it's not, it's not like Northern Ireland where they actually might win a parliamentary seat. Well, I mean, it is kind of like Northern Ireland in that it's also happened in Boston because I'm thinking of James Michael Curley, but that's about the only one that immediately. <laughs> to mind. I'm curious.
0: I, I'm pretty sure he beat the green party results in 2020.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, I mean also like you know even at that point like the socialist party was you know a lot more of a legitimate party than the green party probably is now but that's just my own personal opinion.
0: No, I'm don't disagree with you. So he uh in 2020 Howie Hawkins of the Green Party won less than 0.5% of the popular vote.
1: What about in uh what about in
0: 2016?
1: Oh oh you mean uh the the Bugaboo Jill Stein? Yeah. Oh boy. Which like everyone always talks about her no one ever talks about, you know, uh What's his nuts? The fucking libertarian candidate Johnson, Gary Johnson. Uh, she won
0: 1% of the popular vote.
1: Yeah. So they, uh, they, they tripled the percentage
0: though to her credit, she did win about 400,000 votes more than Eugene Debs from prison. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, uh, eventually though Debs did get out of prison, but he had to wait for Woodrow Wilson to leave office. Uh, When uh, Warren G. Harding came to office, he commuted uh, Debs' sentence uh, pretty quickly. It was within a few months in 1921. Um, And he invited Eugene Debs to the White House afterwards to meet him personally. Uh, And when they met, uh, Harding greeted him with, quote, I've heard so goddamn much about you. I'm glad to have finally gotten the chance to meet you personally. Uh, Mm -hmm. Though if uh, Debs was overly gracious of Warren Harding, you'd be wrong. He said that he seemed like a good person, but he's, he's still of the master class and therefore a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Debs would have been perfectly fine just dying in prison.
1: Right. I mean, you know, um, when you have the courage of your convictions that fucking deep.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, like he, like, there's a very good reason why like, he never asked for a pardon. He's like, I'm guilty. <laughs> I did the shit out of that. Yeah, I did. I did those crimes. And like even Harding is like, there's no doubt of his guilt. If you asked him, he'd tell you he's guilty. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really seemed like President Wilson wanted to leave him in prison until he died. Uh, and he almost got his wish. He died um a couple years after he got out at the age of seventy. I think it was like 1925 or 1924 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so he only made it a couple years after because, like I said, he was very very sick when he went into prison, and uh, prison. I mean, it's terrible now, but it was even worse then, and only made him sicker and sicker uh and Unfortunately, when Debs got out, the socialist uh party that he helped build, along with most of the labor unions he helped build, were pretty
1: much dead when he got out um well or at least were being actively persecuted still through the uh through yeah. the first red scare
0: yeah, so he he spent most of his time at his home in Indiana trying to re, uh, regain his health, but he he died um I mean, unfortunately, this doesn't have like a super happy ending because, I mean, the, this is from 100 years ago. Of course, the guy died. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. We've covered um, this is the second guy we've covered as far as anti-war people who end up having horrible consequences. Um, first was obviously the White Rose, which, you know, they got beheaded with a fucking guillotine. So I suppose it could be worse. Yeah. But it's also saying like Woodrow Wilson, not technically as bad as the Nazis. Cool.
1: Well, and it's also uh one of the things too that um, yeah, I mean that's a low fucking bar, but I, it, <laughs> right, it's also just like uh, one of the interesting things is, and I feel like it's just because so much about uh like anti war activism kind of feels like it you know just ends up happening almost in a vacuum because you kind of you with the exception of kind of the mythologizing of the hippies like during the Vietnam War, you don't really hear that much ab- about any other anti war activism from any other war. Um, like you don't hear anything about it during World War II at all. You hear very little about it during World War I. Um, You know, like Korea, you don't really hear about any of like the anti, uh, anti-nuke anti activists, like from the 80s or anything really, or at least you didn't like when I was going through school. So it's kind of always interesting to see the way that, you know, particularly with World War One, you kind of learn that America went in reluctantly and then just kind of, uh, and then, you know, won World War One for the good guys and you never really learned why we were the good guys. You never really learned why, you know, uh, the other side, you know, the um, the other side were the bad. You, and you certainly never learned that anyone ever opposed it for any real reason. So, it's, you know, and like, I
0: obviously my relationship with World War One is much different, especially um, because my family wasn't in the United States yet. Um, right. And, uh, you know, my I, I suppose I, I simply wouldn't just wouldn't exist if the other side had won. Um, but. You know, from an American perspective, it's always very weird to me uh, that, like, I never heard much about this uh, in school, even in college. Um, I only heard about Eugene Debs because of one specific class in college, and yeah, I think you know, going back to that quote that he said that you know the uh, the master class wraps himself in the flag, and then perches up on high with a magnifying glass, looking to stamp anybody's head with traitor. That's what you get, now, especially like as a veteran on the left who is also. Very anti-war, more specifically uh, anti-Iraq and Afghanistan war, uh, the global war on terror, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I get that all the time, uh, where you have people who are trying to out-patriot one another, calling themselves patriots, and you know I oppose the war that I fought in. Therefore, I'm either a pussy, I didn't actually fight, or I was never even in the military at all. Like they have to immediately discredit you rather than uh, attempt to, deta- like, uh, t- disentangle your argument. And see why you might be against the war. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mean, that's obviously why you have political repression like the espionage and sedition acts. Uh these people are traitors, you don't have to listen to them just shove them into some federal prison where hopefully they'll get consumption and die. Uh and you know, obviously, um that doesn't happen so much anymore for the anti war activists anyway.
1: But 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 you can even see, I mean, even like, you know, in more recent history, if you look at, you know, the kind of the political history of the United States from, you know, the the beginning of the global war on terror to, you know, the present day, you know, and for all that we're told that we have to forgive, you know, Democrats in particular who, you know, were for it before they were against it. Uh, as, uh, you know, Kerry said when he ran for president in 2004, um, you know, fucking like, John Kerry,
0: man. He he's the pinnacle of die hero live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah,
1: I mean, and so like you <laughs> you hear so much about how we have to you know forgive everyone who voted for Iraq because they didn't know better somehow as like grown ass adults, like you know in Congress, uh you know, in the early two thousands. Um, but no. very few people have <laughs> like you know, and like we have to you know, and we we have to allow like David French and like From and like other fucking dickheads into play society. Um, but we never really, we should,
0: we should pull the people who live in, uh, Missoula and how they feel about those people still holding government seats.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, and, but meanwhile, like if you look at a lot of the folks who opposed the war back then, I mean, they've mostly been sidelined. So, you know, oh, and, of and, and, you know, and you, even with, uh, I mean, one of my own personal pet peeves with, you know, and I know why people do it. and I get it of, uh, you know, criticizing Trump for, you know, being like, uh, a putative war hawk, but then also at the same time, like dodging the draft back in the day and like dodging, dodging the the draft is the most humane thing or most human action I've ever seen him do. Yeah. I mean like, you know, like, and, and also you don't want to, you know, accidentally uh, back into making, I don't know, military service, a fucking litmus test for whether or not you get to, you know, participate in, in, you know, in, uh, in society, which is like, you know, you're kind of seeding so much ground by making those sorts of attacks um that it becoming the becoming fucking uh robert
0: heinlein to own the conservatives
1: yeah like it's just it's like such a fucking <laughs> bad look and you just like everyone needs to fucking stop it um like you know like it doesn't the other side doesn't matter if you point out hypocrisy and all you're doing is help introduce this idea that you have to like be this fucking you know you have to be like a uh that having you know the new uh um, you know person of color head of raytheon is like you know the kind of liberation that you want to see in the world and it's just such a poor fucking look
0: yeah i'd I love to slap you know a black lives matter sticker on my predator drone um so so we can change the topic and end this on something of hopefully lighter note maybe not uh we uh, shocks we do something on the show called question from the legion um, if you'd like to ask us a question from Legion, you can donate a dollar to the show, get access to our Discord, Patreon, and then uh, just slide into my DMs uh, or email me or whatever. Send a me- uh, put a message in a bottle, float it towards Hawaii. If I get it, I will ask a question <laughs> on of here. Uh, messenger pigeons, also fine. Um, today's question is, what is your favorite conspiracy theory? Not necessarily one that you believe, but what is your favorite?
1: Um... F- I don't know someone on I'm trying to remember someone on fucking uh I think it was Dwight maybe on uh Twitter uh had like a good thing recently that was some of my fa- some of my favorite conspiracy theories it was like what's your favorite one uh or like what that's what it was it was if you could know the truth about a conspiracy theory which one would you pick um which I guess is kind of similar and uh that's a good one I chose i mean because I am who I am I chose Hoffa. Uh, Hoffa's a good one, but for, but for th- I also have a Hoffa one. Yeah, I mean, like I I would definitely like a Hoffa would be definitely kind of cool, and you know, like some of uh, and um my favorite conspiracy theory about that, you know, about like all the you know he's buried under a fucking farm somewhere, or like that he got uh, spirited away entirely and has been living in witness protection for this long. Um, <laughs> he'd be like a hundred years old, wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, he'd probably be dead by now. I just mean like you know, like when I when I first started reading about that, but uh. I would say my other general bet, favorite conspiracy theories are like each and every single one about uh, that involves the Bermuda Triangle, like the fucking trainer flight off of Florida that disappeared, uh, like all the fucking, you know, like ghost ships and whatever else that just disappeared in the, you know, Bermuda Triangle. I mean, it's definitely a little bit disappointing when you read about them now and you're like, they don't know what happened. And then you read that it was like a... uh a fifty year old uh like coal ship that was like bending in half every single fucking journey and you're like, uh pretty sure I know what happened there. I'm pretty sure it just fucking sank. But uh yeah, like any any sort of like alien abduction shit or just like, you know, portal to a different land or whatever shit that involves being a triangle I'm here for
0: that one's solid. Um I guess since we've brought it up, I'll I'll do the Hoffa one. And mine mine has a personal connection since my, my stepdad was UAW forever until he retired. But one of the jobs that he had for the UAW, which is the United Auto Workers uh, Union for nobody, uh, for for someone not from the Midwest who doesn't know what that is. <laughs> um, when he was, uh, when he was a kid, which is forever ago for him because he's like 70 now. Uh, one of the jobs that he had was crushing cars. And then after crushing the cars, they'd put him in an incinerator, which they would leave nothing left. Um, and, you know, Back in the day, Detroit mobs pretty much controlled the UAW and therefore controlled most auto worker factories. And uh, he, he firmly believed uh, because like, one of the things that he was told is when they brought a car in, you're not allowed to go through it because like, they're afraid that these like, kids are going to steal shit from him. Because he was like you know, 19 or whatever, 19 or 20. Yeah. Uh, He's they're afraid they're going to part out this car or whatever and make the company look. He's like, you can't go through it. Don't open the trunks. Don't do shit. Just put it in the crusher. Burn the cube. So he, so he was like, I, there's a, there's, he's, he's like, there's a 50% chance I burn Jimmy Hoffa, and I have no idea. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah stepdad and killed Jimmy Hoffa. I'm on it. Yeah, like no, I back that. Um, yeah, um,
1: 100%. Was it? It's not a conspiracy theory, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave with a, uh, a very Boston uh, conspiracy anecdote, which is, uh, I had a, I worked at the, uh, the Apple store on Boylston Street for like a, um, a couple years uh, back when I was an undergrad. And one of the uh, one of the cashiers there told me once that she had been working at the candy store that used to be on Newbury Street, and she said that at one point when she was working there, she looked across the street and swears to like swears to the hand of God that she saw Jimmy Hoff or not Jimmy Hoffa, sorry, Whitey Bulger sitting in a parked car right on Newbury Street, <laughs> like and he was just like looking straight at her, and to her telling, he just put his finger to his lips, making the no shun- like shush notion and then uh or motion and then uh and then drove right off and so she swears that she saw jimmy hoffa that one day or not fuck whitey bulger and uh (laughs) and so i I back the conspiracy theory because i back all personal conspiracy theories kind of like uh my grandmother saying that my uh great-grandfather ran booze for the kennedys back during prohibition that'd be rad Uh, wasn't um
0: whitey bulger being protected by an fbi agent
1: Oh, yeah, that's that. I mean, that's well documented. He was being protected by okay. John Connolly and John Connolly actually went to fucking jail for it, uh, <laughs> you know, because you literally have to like aid in a bed, a fucking serial killing mob boss for like decades in order to uh, go to jail as an FBI agent in this country.
0: Yeah, all all of that just so he could like hang on the coast, get arrested and then get beaten to death by a lock and a sock by another mobster in prison.
1: Yeah, well, because, of course, that's the uh, that's the whole thing was, um you know, was Jimmy uh, or was uh, Whitey Bulger a snitch for the FBI, or was the FBI a snitch for Whitey Bulger? And that's the thing that, uh, you know, depending on what side you believe, no one's ever been able to figure out.
0: The, the FBI is just Whitey Bulger's all the way down.
1: Yep. Uh, Shocks.
0: Thanks for joining me in lieu of Nick. Um, my the the Boston Nick. Um, <laughs> the Boston Cryptid. That's what I'm going by now. <laughs> and uh, uh, I until next time. Uh, don't I don't know. Get arrested. do, Do oppose war. Do yeah. Do oppose war. Don't get arrested. There we go.